Good evening, everyone. You ready to study the word? All right, guys, uh, taking our journey through the New Testament, turning your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. And um, we uh, took a look at the book of uh, Philemon last week. It was just that one chapter. And, and I thought, well, let's just go ahead and we'll cover through the book of Hebrews. And maybe when we're done Hebrews, we'll venture back into the Old Testament and take on the book of Numbers. But that's a few weeks away. Hebrews chapter 1. God who at sundry times, my old king, and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, and this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits? And his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is in the scepter of thy kingdom. Who hath loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the work of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up. And they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thy, uh, make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heir of salvation? Let's just read verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Let's just stand and pray over the word this evening. Father, again, Lord, as we hold your word in our hands, God, and uh, Lord, that's just a sign of your grace, a symbol of your grace that you would even allow us to handle, to read it. But Father, we know that without your Holy Spirit leading and guiding us through the book of Hebrews, Lord, we would, um, would, we would just consider this another, another book. But it isn't just another book. It's, a, it's the word of God. 
And it's living and it's active. It's sharp. It's anointed. It's been placed above your own name. And so we don't take it lightly, God. We consider the heaviness, as it were, of it, Lord. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us, anoint us to receive it. And if, Lord, there's anyone here this evening that's just weighed down by the cares of this world, or maybe it's just been a rough day, I don't know. If there's anything, God, that would hinder them from hearing your voice, Holy Spirit, open their hearts, pour your word into it. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, and everyone said together, amen, amen. Thank you. The book of Hebrews, um, no day, well, it's written to Hebrews. It's, it's written to a, a, Judy, a, a Jewish audience. We know it's written before 70 AD. It's before the general Titus, the Roman general, came in and besieged Jerusalem. We know that at this time there were still animal sacrifices still taking place. We know that the persecution upon the church was mounting up. Stephen had probably been stoned already. Um, Saul could have been converted by um, this time. Uh, Believers were being driven out of Jerusalem. Uh, The ones that uh, stayed, of course, would meet their fate there in 70 AD. Um, Challenges were being made to the early church. Challenges like, well, what do you mean we have to abandon our way of worship? What do you mean there is no more sacrifice? What do you mean there's no more high priest, that we have just a high priest now that rules and reigns in heaven? Everything they knew and were raised in was being challenged, and thus the book of Hebrew. It was written to a bunch of believers that were really struggling between legalism and grace and the way they were brought up, everything they knew. Imagine that challenge. And some people have. I, for one, I wasn't challenged that way. Grew up as a heathen, got saved, and I, it was great. But imagine somebody, someone just being raised in a particular religion or a denomination where they didn't teach regeneration or the blood cleansing or the final sacrifice on the cross. Imagine just being taught your entire life and then say midlife or somewhere all of a sudden all that is now being challenged. That everything you believed in now you're going to have to lay at its feet and even question it. You know to understand the rebirth spiritually. I, I think that that would be a tough, tough deal. He's writing to the diaspora. He's writing to a Jewish, as I said earlier, a Jewish audience or or readers. And uh, it's these people that have been dispersed all over. And he's trying to um, reveal the truth, again, between grace and and legalism. Um, The... The temple, you know, still um, active, uh, had its problem with the Romans, uh, but still very active within Judaism. And um, Paul, again, is writing to these um, Christian uh, Hebrews, um, 13 chapters, um, 303 verses, 6,700, I think, 13 words, 
all related to that one thing, and that is to reach these Jewish believers. Now, that's important because we're going to come across some very difficult verses in this book. Um, those that struggle with Arminianism and Calvinism, they wrestle with the book of Hebrews here. And, um, you know, once being enlightened and walking away, the Calvinists will say, well, you can't walk away. Once saved, always saved, that sort of thing. And then the Arminians will say, no, no, that's not true. Human response, it's whosoever. And if you come back, God loves the backslider. So we'll deal with these things as we go uh, along. Um, if you read through Second Peter, there's even this uh, verse in chapter 3 where it alludes to Paul writing an epistle. And many scholars believe it is this book, the book of Hebrews. So they say it's definitely Pauline. It doesn't come out and say that he wrote to, uh, that he wrote to the Hebrews here. It's just kind of insinuated or speculated. It could have been Apollos. It could have been Dr. Luke. It could have been Paul. We just don't know. Now, there are those who use, uh, it's called external criticism, uh, that say um, it, it points more to Paul's, but internally, the criticism internally, when it deals with linguistic arguments over Greek and Hebrew and all, they're saying it's not Paul's at all. It doesn't even come close. Um, I, I think the Lord, don't want, he doesn't want us to know. Or he would have said in the beginning, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, unto the, the Jewish Christians that are scattered throughout Asia Minor and all that. Yeah, I just, and again, minor it's very minor who wrote it. We do know who wrote it, right? The Holy Spirit wrote it. He ordained men of old and, and he penned it out. Um, if you go through um, Second Peter, you'll see the word we all the time mentioned as though even Peter is kind of uh, writing to the Jewish people. Uh, whoever it is, the, the writers are, the, I'm sorry, the readers are very familiar with this author, whoever it might be. Um, it's going to deal with one central thought, and that will be um, Jesus Christ. And we're going to start off in chapter 1 where he's better than angels. He's going to be later on better than Moses, better than Aaron, the high priest, better than all the sacrifices that are represented on the Temple Mount. And so it deals basically with a lot of Judaism there. Yeah, tough first to get, I mean, tough book to get through in a way because of all the theological arguments that are presented in this. Um, but we'll, you know, we'll just tackle it as it comes along. It has nothing to do really whether you're saved or not saved. If you know you're born again and the Spirit of God dwells in you, just don't worry about it. I mean, if you like digging in and coming up with an opinion, a it's fine. If you want to be more leaning towards the Arminius, go ahead, you know. And if you're leaning more towards the, the Calvin, it's fine too. Amen, guys? I think where it becomes wrong is when we start to split hairs and we divide the body of Christ over it. You can be whatever you want it to be as long as you know you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. Make sense, church? And please, stay in love with Jesus. Stay in love with Jesus because I read verse 1 of chapter 2. And there's the first exhortation that's within the book of Hebrews. And um, that's kind of slinking away from your first love. I'm paraphrasing it in a way. Well, anyway, verse 1, it says, God who at sundry times and in divers manner spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophet. And indeed, God used the prophets to speak the truth, but he also used other means than just the prophets. 
Um, he used the kings. He used the judges. He used uh, all sorts of agents to um, to speak to them. The word, by the way, he spoke 61 times. So you kind of get the, the idea that this author wants everyone to know, whoever's reading this, that God spoke. God spoke this. And then in the second, in verse 2, it says, Have in these last days spoke unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heirs of all things. Let's just stop there for a second. He, in these last days he has spoken. Some translations render this, spoken us through his son, my old kings, by his son. More literal is he spoke to us in his son. And again, it, it, that is the correct uh, interpretation, in his son. And that is the only way to know the truth is in his son. You know, there's just the sense of God bearing witness because we're in the Father. The Father is in us. The, you know, we're, he's indwelling us. We're indwelling him. And we know what the truth is because of the conviction of the Spirit. That's why you can hear some teaching, and you might not be well, real well-versed in the Bible, but you know something is just odd. Do you ever just experience that ever? Somebody's given a Bible study. He's very well gifted in oratory, and he's got it all together with the mannerisms. And But you go, something's just not jiving here. See, he speaks to us now because we're in his son. The truth is in him. I remember years ago, I was sitting with my brother-in-law, Joe. We were in this meeting. And I'm talking back in the latter 70s, the late 70s. And we were listening to this very charismatic speaker. And I mean, he had it down. He had everyone's attention. And midway, my heart just started grieving. And, you know, and I didn't know an epistle from an apostle. And I didn't know if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was a rock and roll group. I didn't know anything about the Bible. But then, all of a sudden, there was just this this thing in my heart where I, and I looked at my brother-in-law and um, he, I said, Joe, and he goes, I know there's just something brick in my heart. There's something wrong. I said, well, what do we do? He goes, well, we're not going to give them any money. That's for sure. You know, there is that conviction of the Holy Spirit. You might not, you know, when you're saved, don't you? And when you're first saved, you don't have a scripture verse to make rhyme or reason about it. But you know that something happened because in these last days, he spoke to us in his son. His son now indwells us. Truth indwells us. And then it says, whom he has made the world. He has literally, he has formed the ages. It was by his son, literally by his son, um, he created all things. And we're going to touch on that a little bit more later on in this passage. Because he hammers this thought, I think, three times before we're even done the first chapter here. Who says in verse 3, who um, being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. Let's stop there for a second. He's literally talking about the glory of God expressed out of his son. And let's move on down a little further. Upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had, notice, by himself purged our sins. He seems to change thought right in mid-strive of this verse. Then he sits down on the right hand of his majesty on high. Now, you might look at that latter part of the verse and say, well, what's the big deal? He sat down. Well, that's something in the Old Testament you would never find with the high priest. 
So God is trying to make a point now, and he's making that point in these last days. He spoke to us, not by the prophets of old, but now in his son. He's really trying to tell us something about Jesus in verse 3 here. But there's four things that really pops out in this verse. And number one is that the son does shine the greatness or the glory of the father. You know what? When we read through the New Testament, I should say through the Gospels, you know, you know, if any man has seen me, they have seen who? The Father. Everything we want to know about God the Father, we would find in the Son. If somebody wanted to say, I just wish I could hear God's voice, read the Bible and you will. Because everything that the Father wants to say, he'll say it through his Son. I wish I could just see the Father. Well, you would see it in the Son. Everything you want to know about the creator of the world will be expressed in his Son. Even the glory of his majesty. The glory, the radiance of God. Do you remember what Jesus looked like on the Mount of Transfiguration, folks? When he appeared there with Elijah and Moses, and when he came down, he was just literally in God's glory. Peter didn't know what to say, so he said what? Hey, we better build this guy a house so they have a place to live in. Again, Peter just maybe should have just kept quiet. And you think about what God, how Moses looked when he came down off the, the, the mountain of God or the, where he received the law, how he was just radiant with God's glory. But that we see now in the sun. A second thing in that verse is the sun is as God in every way. Again, the, the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. All in one. Third thing is that the son is the one who holds everything together. He holds the world together by the power, literally the authority of his word. And number four, the son gave his own life in order that we might stand before God or that we might be cleansed from all our sin. And notice again, having done all that. You know, the radiance of his glory, the son as God in every way, holding the world together by the powers where gave his son for redemption to cleanse us. And then after all that is accomplished, the guy sits down. Our Lord sits down. You see, in the Old Testament, the priest was never allowed to sit down ever. His job was never done. And uh, the only time he could get a break is when he was off duty, then he would go, go down. See, what the Bible is showing us is once that final sacrifice was completed, once it was all down, Jesus now can sit. Why? To tell us die. It's finished. It's paid. No more shedding of blood by the animals for redemption or for the forgiveness of sin. Now, look, I'm not saying to you guys, you know me well enough that that gives us a license to live any way we want. If you have that kind of concept or that idea in your heart, then you really need to examine it. Because he was who he said he was, you know, that God spoke by it to, uh, to us by the prophets. Then he spoke to us by his son and he reveals all this about his son. You see, guys, God gave that as a free gift. It's grace and it's the grace that gives us the power, the authority, the ability to live a life that's pleasing to him. We're never given license to live any way we want. We're never given license to just go ahead and, and lose control over the emotions and become you know, real angry. And, you know, we're never given a license to sin at all. Romans chapter 6 says that. Amen. For what shall we say then? Continue in sin? No, no. God forbid. Perish that thought. 
He is the one who creates. You know, people still struggle with it. Our, our buddies, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they struggle with that whole concept. Let me read something out of Colossians. And I know probably you guys are uh, familiar with the verse. But listen to this. Uh, Colossians chapter uh, 1 verse 16. For by him were all things created. And, and then he says what things. He goes, that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is above all things, and by him all things consist. Because even back then, the Christians were having a real issue over angels. You know, the whole study of angelology all of a sudden just started plaguing the church. And they started talking about the importance of, of angels. Now, listen, I, I think they are. I really do. In fact, when you study, uh, what's it, 106 times, I think it's mentioned in the Old Testament, angels, 106 times. 165 times in the New Testament. That, that Angels is a broad subject in the New Testament. And the reason I bring that to your attention, folks, is because the church has the tendency to dwell more on demons. The demonic thing. There's more books written about demonology than there is about angels and heavenly hosts. And how they come to minister to us. You know, you think about it. We've got Michael the archangel. Only one archangel. And yet our JW friends want to say that he's the brother. Uh, Jesus is the brother of Michael. We have Gabriel, not an archangel, but a high angel, according to the scriptures. We have angels unaware that we don't even know. We might be entertaining them. I might, you know, Matt Shields might be an angel. No, I know he's no angel. But I know that they're... But the angels unaware. We're told that angels are given charge over little ones, children. A buddy of mine, um, Bill Gallatin, his son was out across the, uh, the street and he was playing in one of these neighborhood parks. And it got real late or a storm came in off the Finger Lakes and it really got eerie dark, you know. And they were trying to race home. The older brother outrun the, the younger brother, and then Bill got on the, his, his young, oldest son. He goes, where is your younger brother? He goes, oh, I, I left him in the dark, Dad. I was so scared. I, I just ran. And then here comes this little guy coming racing onto the park. And, you know, Bill said, are you okay? He goes, amazing thing just happened to me. And he starts to explain how this guy helped him up to his feet. He had fallen down, told him that he had. He goes, well, what's so amazing? He goes, well, the guy had a sword. And he just glowed. And this, is, this was coming from a small child telling his dad. We hear over and over and over people having, you know, um, experiences with angels. I, I know I had an angel watching over me, or I should be dead a long time ago, you know. How many of you guys can attest to that? Yeah, right? How many of you guys know, know of anyone that laid on a car, 1968 duster to mind you, and held on to the rain gutter and was doing 90 miles an hour to see if he could hang on? That's insane. I, the angel was just holding me down on top of this car. And I know he was can I just let go? Can I? You know, Paul, you know we, we see all through the Bible about um, 
angels and think about the Old Testament, you know, with, uh, I think it was Elijah, wasn't it? And his servant, uh, and the servant saw all the Assyrians surrounded them, and he, he freaked out. So he went back to the prophet and said, the Assyrians are all around us. What are we going to do? And then Elijah looked out, and he just said, oh, God, would you just open this man's eyes? And when God opened the servant's eyes, what he saw was surrounding the Assyrians was a band of heavenly hosts with swords, flaming swords of fire, ready to annihilate their enemies. All through the Bible, we have angels. So why do we focus on the demons? Why do we make it like they're important? In the book of Isaiah, there's going to come a time when we pass by the one in change, Lucifer himself, we will gaze upon th- this, this enemy of ours. And then what, what we say in heaven, we see him bound. We will say, is this the one who plagued the nations and caused all the fear? This guy we feared? We're not to fear the demons. That's what Satan wants us. He wants us to be afraid of demon possessions. Uh, He wants us to be afraid of the demonic kingdom. And oh, the devil made me do it. You know what? You should just fear your flesh more than any demon. Your flesh is so much more powerful than even the demons in hell. You know, and people will argue with that. I I don't argue with someone else. But anyway, verse 4. He says, being made so much, notice, being made so much better than the angels. The idea of being much better is he's made them uh, greater. He hath, uh, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent than name. God gave the Son a greater name than any You know, nowhere in the Bible does it talk about Michael being the greater name, or Gabriel being, a, or the seraphims, or the cherubims, which means there's more than one. Whenever you see in the Hebrew, the I am, im, it literally means more than one. These weird-looking angelic creatures that we see in the scriptures, cherubims, seraphims, Nowhere do you see God saying, check out their names. Look at their names. Michael. You know, Michael. Nowhere does he ever elevate a human name. Like Joseph. Or any saint. And I'm not trying to rail on the saints. I'm just saying, he's never exalted any man more than the name of Jesus. There's no other name given among men whereby they must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Now listen, folks. It's not the J-E-S-U-S. Because if you spoke Spanish, it wouldn't be that, would it? You know, if you spoke another language, it wouldn't be that. What would it be? The onema of God. The onema of God. That's the Greek word. And I don't mean to bombard you with Greek. It's probably all Greek to you anyway. But it literally means everything it stands for. When you say... The President of the United States, right? Well, maybe we can't, <laughs> never mind. But, but it, at one time, <laughs> it had this thing. The President of the United States, people would stand. People would gather up and down the streets to just try to look at this man who is what? He's the commander in chief. He is the one who could flip a nation on a dime. He's the one that's powerful, right? It's what that name represents. And that's the idea. He hasn't given any angel that name that's above any other name. Jesus is the only name. Verse 5 says, For unto which of the angels said he at any time? 
Thou art my son, and today I have begotten thee. The writer here uses two different uh, Old Testament verse. One is in Psalms 2, the other is in 2 Samuel chapter 7. But he says, of the angels, has he ever said of an angel, you are going to be my son, and today I'm going to become your father? No, no. Only said of Jesus. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, I know the JWs would love to go to this verse and use the word begotten totally out of context. Because we can go all the way back in the, in, in the Old Testament and, and prove that he is God and God in the flesh. And there's really no reason to go and belabor that. But again, the context is saying, not so with the angels. Don't talk about the angels all that much either. You know, in Revelation, I know I'm running out of my time. I'm going to read this to you in Revelation. Uh, Listen, uh, chapter 22, I believe it is. It says this. He said unto me, these are faithful. Our sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God is, is the, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly uh, become. And then the Lord speaks. Behold, I come quickly. And then it says, blessed is he that keeps the sayings of this, of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, I saw these things and I heard them. And when I had heard I and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of an angel, which showed me these things. And then he said unto me, see that thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren the prophet, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, you bet, and I'm paraphrasing, it says, worship God, but it's in a sense, you better worship God and not me. Isn't it amazing how many things people will bow down and worship, people that will bow down and hold it in great importance, and, and really, if they were alive today, they would say, don't worship me, worship God. Can you imagine what the Wesley brothers would say right now if they saw the Methodist church today? Can you imagine um, George Whitfield looking at the Episcopal church today and go, my goodness, look at this. And yet they hold these men in high esteem and regard them as the founder of their church. I'll tell you what they would do if they could see it. They roll over in their graves. They would mourn. They would weep for what the church has become. Why? Because every denomination has started to worship a man, a figure, an idol. That was the greatest fear about um, Calvary Chapel movement. And I remember, in fact, I wrote it down in my Bible. Let me see if I can get that real quick. I wrote it down the day he said it. it was back in 1979. It was a quote. Never say Chuck did it this way. Always follow the Holy Spirit of God. I wrote that in 1979. You know, and people think of the Wesley brothers are all that. George Whitfield is all that. Charles Spurgeon is all that. How many times have we quoted Spurgeon and Moody and all that? And every one of those men would say, don't quote me, quote Jesus. Quote Jesus. And for some reason, with, even in the early church, it hadn't even been 30 years. And he was already challenging them that they had left their first love. Just in 30 years after the death of Christ, the apostles were doing sort of like this check and balance thing to the believers of the early church. Are you leaving your first love? 
Are you leaving your relationship? Why? And this is what the book of Hebrews is all about. You're going to go back into what? Judaism? You're going to start sacrificing animals again? Well, that's all we know. That's all we've done all our lives. No, no, no. And Paul, well, whoever the author is, will challenge them with that all through this book and say, look, don't worship angels. Don't worship the names of angels. And they were beginning to do that even in the early church. I better finish out this. We only got to verse 5. <laughs> and again, when he uh, bringeth in the first begotten into the world, some have even said it's in reference to the second coming. I'll leave that for you to study. Because of the word begotten there in the tense that it is, it's normally referring to the second and not the first coming. Bad translation here. Let all the angels of God worship him. And so he comes right out and says, you know, angels are worshiping God. We see it in the book of Revelation. And of the angel, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and, and his ministers of judgment. In, in other words, he, the, the word spirits there can also be translated as wind, carrying something uh, via by wind. And as far as the flame of fire, God has used um, his servants, angels, to bring forth his judgment. He uses angels and he'll use even man to bring about his judgment. But unto the Son, he says this, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever the scepter of the righteousness of thy scepter of thy kingdom. I'm sorry, is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and you hated, hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And again, quoting 45, Psalms 45, Oak. Uh, thy throne, throne, O God, is forever and ever. You can check that out as a cross-reference. Verse 10, he says, Thou, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundations of the earth, and of the heavens are the work of thy of thy hands and in reference to the universe the stars i believe it's in psalms 108 where he says he's he's thrown out the heavens or the galaxies uh it talks about a span of hand but in the hebrew it means literally at your fingertips you have just thrown out the stars of the universe and again taking us back to john chapter one that in the beginning was the word and the word created all things in reference to christ creating it all another another creation psalm would be psalms 102 if you're taking down notes and then in verse 11 it says they shall perish but thou remainest in other words he's saying everything he's created eventually will be destroyed you know peter talks about it being destroyed with the firmament of heat something that's just going to burn up all that god has created all that christ has created there's coming a time where it's all going to be destroyed you know, it talks a bit, it talks and maybe I'll, nah, let's do, I'm going to do it in Psalms. I went crazy with cross references to this this morning. In Psalms, it says this, Psalms 8. That's what I thought I was looking for. In, in, in Psalms 8, if you'll turn there, if you're quick enough, go to Psalms 8 and we'll read the whole thing. Uh, 
again, prophetic psalm. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. I'll give you a second to turn there, guys. I'm sorry. Psalms 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and suckling thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the, um, the enemy and the avenger. And when I consider the heavens and the work of thy fingers, wow, the moon, the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that you would even visit him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angel. Indeed he did when he became man. Took on flesh. Has crowned him with glory and with honor. Thou uh, madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Sheep, oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowls of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the parts are the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And if you real want quickly, just go back to, I mean, Isaiah chapter 65. We know according to, to Peter and also Revelation, all that will be destroyed. That's what is being alluded to here in chapter 1 of Hebrews. But that's not the final word. Look at verse 5 of chapter 65, Isaiah 65, pardon me, 17. This is one you should highlight. For behold, I create new heaven... A new earth. The former shall not be remembered. Isn't. I know it might not seem it. But that is a very. That's a glorious promise. Because you ever deal with this thing. I do. How much will I remember in heaven? You know. Um, I, someone said not too long ago. You know about their dog. Will my dog be in heaven? And. I just wanted to say, well, if he's not, you won't remember anyway. It wasn't the time to say that, you know. And I know this might be a little sobering and this might be heavy. But I'm kind of glad that if my loved ones don't make it. I won't remember. But I sure know it now. But if that aunt that you love so much doesn't get saved... Could you imagine being in heaven thinking they're suffering the eternal flame of hell? A son and daughter that never gave their hearts to Christ. I'm just saying, the former things will never be remembered. We, 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 I won't remember Virgin, New Jersey. I'll see the king. But I'll tell you, it's heavy because now I do know. And it plagues me. To think maybe my one of my kids or an aunt and uncle. And I don't share the gospel with them because I'm just, I don't know, whatever there is. I think, I think we need to get past that. But I don't want you to think that when you get to heaven you're going to be tormented. That's not the truth. You will not be tormented in, in heaven about former thoughts. But I hope it torments you now. And I hope it gets you motivated to go reach that family one and share 
the love of Jesus with them. Amen, folks? So we'll leave that in the Lord's hands. Yeah? All right. Go back to um, Hebrews. Uh, Rich, make your way out here. That'll force me to stop. Um, in Isaiah, where he says he will create all new things, see, there's two words there in the Hebrew for creating. Um, one is where he creates something that already exists. When he made um, man, he made man from what? The dirt, right? And um, But when he, when he spoke something into creation, when he spoke the heavens into creation, it's a different word and it's called bara, B-A-R-A. And it means creating something out of nothing. So when he says he's making a new heaven and a new earth, the scholars that teach is that he's going to reamp, restore, rebuild earth, that's not the case. He will create a new heaven and a new earth. And the Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem that's coming down will be coming from heaven, not restored on earth. It's all going to be brand new when we worship our king in the new heavenly Jerusalem. Amen. And so remember, too, if you're saying, you know how I just need God to do something new and fresh in my life. Remember when David said, created me a clean heart. He uses the same Hebrew word bara. You know, his sin with Bathsheba and other issues that he had, the murder of Uriah and all, he understood that he did not want this thing reconstructed. He needed something new. He needed a fresh start. And that's why David would say, create something new in me. And how many of us need that even tonight? Some of us do. We just need a new start at something. Amen, guys? Let me finish off this chapter. And it says here, again, in reference to everything just melting away it said they shall perish but you're going to remain they shall wax old as a garment and as a vesture shall thou fold them up and they shall be changed but thou art the same and thy years shall not um not fail but to which of the angels going right back to that angel thing again but to the which of the angels did he ever say sit on my right hand until I make thy enemies your footstool literally until you put your foot on their necks I just love that image for some reason are, are they not all ministering spirits do not the angels work for God absolutely send forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation Amen and amen, guys. Listen, read ahead. Camp out at verse 2, or verse 1 of chapter 2, about taking more of an earnest heed to the things that we heard, you know. He's going to challenge the Hebrews about fading away, fading away, losing something they had initially. Harry, I didn't think you could backslide. I know you can backslide. I think we we can't wrap our minds around because it's eternal. Can someone lose their salvation? People who say they're adamant about it is because they're afraid of losing it. it. Shouldn't even be an issue to the believer. Shouldn't even be worrying about it. If you're worried about it, then it isn't, it's not a salvation issue. It's a relationship issue. Because if this was right, this would totally be right. And you wouldn't be doubting it. 
how, how in 30 years does God have to challenge them about their first love? How does he look at a bunch of believers that, that almost saw the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, but they want to go back and start sacrificing animals again? How on earth does that happen? They lost something. And that's why this author says, better give more earnest heed to the things which you heard. Lest at any time you slip away. Let's stand together. You know, I don't, I don't want to make any crazy announcements right now. So can we just worship God? But when Rich is done, I have a prayer request to ask of you this week to lift up before the Lord. And, uh, but I don't want to do it right now. Let's just worship. And listen, if you're in need of Bara, you need God to just start something new and fresh. Make this a time where you go, God created me. This thing that I long for, this thing I so desire with you again. I have slipped away. I am not where I used to be. And I want to get back there. I want to return, repent, remember, repent, return.